Hi, this is Yatsu of Animal Brands. And this is Yogev Shelley of DinoTap. And we are here to talk about advancement in education through NFTs. On the Edge of NFT, the most educational podcast in the land. Keep listening. Hi, NFT curious listeners. Stay tuned for today's episode to learn how TinyTap is opening new doors for educators, students, and families to amplify learning opportunities and at the same time onboard them into Web3. And whether ChatGPT is a threat or an asset to education, also whether ChatGPT comes up with good podcast questions. And why today's guests would love for everyone in the world to know they can be as creative as anyone else. And don't forget, we put together a gathering called NFTLA just a few months back that brought out thousands of the world's most innovative doers in the NFT space. Head over to nftla.live to get tickets to our bigger, bolder, better, but also just as intimate and impactful event happening in Los Angeles, March 20th, 2023, 2023. See you there. Welcome to the Edge of NFT with your hosts, Jeff Kelly, Ethan Janney, and Josh Krieger the podcast that brings you the top 1% of NFTs today and what will stand the test of time. We explore the nuts and bolts and the business side and also the human element of how NFTs are changing the way we interact with the things we love. This podcast is for the dreamers, disruptors, and doers who are pumped about this ecosystem and driving where it goes next. Today's episode features Yat Su, co-founder and executive chairman of Animoca Brands, and Yogev Shelley, CEO of TinyTap, both partnered to disrupt education through NFTs. A veteran of technology entrepreneurship and an investor based in Hong Kong, Yat Su is a global leader in blockchain and gaming with the mission to deliver digital property rights to the world's gamers and internet users, thereby creating a new asset class, play and earn economies, and a more equitable digital framework contributing to the building of the open metaverse. Since 2018, Yat has been an early advocate for the use of blockchain and NFTs in the gaming industry, which will allow gamers to enjoy true ownership of their own game assets, data, and consequently, equity. With a clear vision of the potential of decentralized apps and assets, Yat quickly steered Animoca Brands to a leadership position in blockchain, gaming, NFTs, and the open metaverse. A lifelong creative, Yogev Shelley, founder and CEO of TinyTap, received his Bachelor's of Art and Design from Bezalel in Jerusalem. Then Yogev opened an interactive design studio as a means to pursue a content creation career, something he has carried with him ever since. He began to learn coding as a hobby, which would eventually lead to the development of the first iteration of TinyTap, a tool he first used as a way to engage with his ailing father who suffered from dementia. TinyTap back then was primarily used by Yogev himself, creating activities that centered around his family. Yogev used pictures and voice recordings to ease the symptoms of dementia. Teachers worldwide, though, found TinyTap on the App Store and began using it for similar means. They would build interactive lessons for their students to create fun and engaging material to use in class. This organic adoption of user-generated content inspired Yogev with a vision for the future. Today, TinyTap provides a code-free platform that empowers educators to create and share interactive educational content and to receive a revenue share when that content is used by learners. Welcome back to the show, Yat, and welcome for the first time, Yagev. Yeah, and I think, Ethan, it's so interesting that here we have Yat in Davos. You were just on Digital Davos yesterday. 
And the conversation in Davos that I think Yat was kind of catching us up on is all about the bigger impact on society of technology. And certainly education is one of those industries that's so ripe for disruption. People talk more about the challenges than the solutions. And here we have a really interesting solution to a big problem. Oh, yeah, for sure. And also, before we get started, I want to jump in and just share that our co-host, Jeff Kelly, he shares his regret that he can't join us today. He's currently actually at a memorial service for a colleague who passed away unexpectedly, but he wishes he was here to be with us today. Yeah. Shout out to Jeff and best wishes to, to him and his family and his colleagues' family as well. But in regard to the conversation around education, yeah, give us a view of what's going on in Davos this year besides some snow. Well, I mean, first, my condolences to Jeff, friends and family. But yes, I mean, maybe quickly in Davos, you know, I would say broadly speaking, first of all, the mood is much more optimistic than I expected, which is good. I guess you could say that maybe people came in with some skepticism about how the market is. And then roughly towards the end of Davos, everyone was feeling quite good about themselves and the market overall. Not sure really what that comes from, but the conversations were positive. And I think there's a few macro things to consider that's adding maybe to that sentiment, not just sort of rising token prices, which obviously has been somewhat of an interesting development in the last week or so, is that I think there were two really main topics that were driving over here at Davos. One of them is obviously Ukraine. And if you think about what's happening in Ukraine, that's actually been sort of going in favor, I would say, towards sort of the general sort of market and Western sentiment. And I think that's obviously adding to the mood. But then the second one is, it's the metaverse. And the metaverse is actually front and center in almost all conversations in Davos, main events. And in fact, just yesterday, the World Economic Forum basically announced sort of some of the metaverse findings, basically with the Working Governing Council, which we're a part of, and we basically were part of the sort of release, which, by the way, the council members are on that one isn't just Web3 companies. In fact, we're a bit of a minority. It includes companies like Meta, Google and Microsoft and all our favorite names. So this is an interesting sort of conversation to try to write the bridge. But anyway, in any sense, it was a positive step there. And of course, the other thing is that in Davos, many of the side events were a lot of Web3, crypto, blockchain type companies as well. So it may as, certain sections of it may as well have felt like Web3 Davos. So it was actually quite fun. Yeah, we were there actually just six months ago. And if you have a chance, there's a vending machine in Davos where you can get yogurt, cheese, and sausage right out of the machine at any time of day. So just a little FYI for you. <laughs> but let's talk a little bit more broadly about the macro topics of that, like really this show comes together to cover, right? We have here a new form of sustainable, ethical, equitable capitalism that Animoca Brands cares deeply about. That's one reason you're in Davos. And it really leads into our, the rest of the focus of the show, which is education, in particular in disrupting education. But really just kind of paint a picture for us of this new framework of capitalism and how you're going about approaching this. So we believe, and particularly this is why we're so excited about Web3, we believe in this concept of the sort of the shared network effect. And we've spoken often about how the metaverse and Web3 and blockchain should be really viewed as building economies as opposed to sort of thinking of them of companies or business. And so like a country, right, the size of its GDP, the size of its economic growth has a net benefit generally to the whole population and everyone involved rather than basically benefiting just a few. 
But the problem that we have in the world today, generally speaking, is that capitalism is generally a form of shareholder capitalism, which is most embodied when you look at basically where the value accrues. So if your company is successful, then obviously the management does well, founders do well, and the shareholders do well. But the customers who have contributed to the success of these companies, and this isn't necessarily just digital companies, but obviously digital companies are the ones who are probably best exemplified, basically don't get really outside of being a consumer of the service, don't get a benefit for having helped build the business. After all, if you look at something, say, like Facebook, if people stopped using Facebook, the value of Facebook is zero. And yet, when the people who use it platform actually they're mined for the data and they don't get any value for it. So it seems basically that really the consumer, and that's the term consumer, is really just there to be extracted from, right? And that's basically the kind of capitalism that we generally have today. Now with Web3, though, what is now possible, it's a form of true stakeholder capitalism. So it's not indirect, it's very direct. So if you take, for instance, one of our other properties, which is the Sandbox, as an example, if you buy land in Sandbox, you become a stakeholder in the truest sort of sense of the word, which means that if Sandbox does well, you do well too. If Sandbox does poorly, well, you know, you suffer equally. But the thing is that what happens is, is the entire community has now a common sense of purpose because they are all part of that same state, which also means actually you have a natural defense mechanism as we have in our own neighborhood, right? If our own neighborhood is going badly, the community will come together and say, what can we do here? So stakeholder capitalism isn't just how do we share value across the community. Stakeholder has capitalism, actually the word stake, means that everyone has something at risk. And we know what happens in societies when you have something at risk, when you are staking something, because you're not just staking money, you're staking reputation, you're staking basically things that are important to you. And when you have something at stake, then it's worth defending, it's worth protecting. And so that's basically what we're hoping to build here. And with the new data paradigm that's blockchain with Web3, actually every, you know, what was traditionally customer-consumer now becomes a customer-owner. And as a result, that customer-owner basically has a shared purpose with the community that he or she is basically joining. So yeah, we think that Mm -hmm. is, broadly speaking, what we're so excited about. And this is really only possible in something like Web3. You can't really do that in the traditional Web2 paradigms. For sure. Yeah. I mean, shout out to a book called Skin in the Game by Nassim Nicholas Taleb, relatively famous economist of sorts. And that's kind of what the whole book is about. How do we get skin in the game for various players and in various systems to make it most functional for all? I also thought it was interesting, you know, mention that word consumer. And then I thought of it in terms of something like Facebook or a lot of these social apps, right? We've turned consumers into producers. <laughs> they're producing the content, but like you said, it's extractive. So they're not just consuming, to be honest, right? Like traditionally, the concept of a consumer is someone who sort of takes and consumes whatever's being produced. And in that case, they're actually what you would think would traditionally be a consumer are producers in, in the most truest sense of the term. I'd love to check in with you, Yagav, just about what's going on here with TinyTap. And I want to know like how NFTs and Web3 technologies are improving earning opportunities, for example, for educators through the system? Yeah, of course. I think I'm just going to build on what we've said until now. Yet, I have also haven't heard that kind of focus and highlight on the word consumer. So that's very interesting to think about it. And I think Web1 is basically the right place to put consumers in because there we just consume the content. Maybe the Web2 should be about 
producers and Web3 is about owners. So that's, I think, a nice way to kind of connect everything. And I'm going to talk in length about what we've created on TinyTap and how we're basically advancing the visions that we already had before with Web2, but now we can really amplify with Web3. And a big part of that vision, or maybe the starting point, the starting point of what we're building is the ownership part. It's to really give the creators the ownership of what they create. And by that, opening all set of new business opportunities and models for them. And as we were working on that, it really made it much clearer that owning the content is a much more fair and true way to link your success to a company's success than the traditional way we're investing in companies today or taking part of companies. So if I'm an avid Facebook user, meta user, and I want to participate in their success, I can go to the public market and buy their shares. But we all know that has nothing to do with the actual success in terms of uh, traction and revenue of the company. It's more of a hype in market and the market can punish it. And the actual underlying assets are where the value is at. So if I own a YouTube video, if I own a part of the evolution of dance back then in YouTube, I don't know if viewers here know what I'm talking about, but any successful videos that suddenly didn't get a lot of views when the platform was young, but suddenly this platform becomes huge and I was a part owner in that video, then I enjoy that success and it's linked directly to the success of the company. So in a way, I think owning pieces of content of platforms that we use and engage are a much better way to really link yourself to the success of a company that you believe in than going to the public market. So I do hope that's where we're going and that's what we're trying to advance also in education. Can you get a little bit into how this works? There's actually another business, which I don't know if it's necessarily a competitor, but there's something interesting about it. I've known about this company for years because my wife and her sister got involved in it. It's called Teachers Pay Teachers. Are you familiar with this? So anyways, it's a platform where if you're a teacher and you made some PDF thing, you can upload it there. Other teachers, you know, I'll spend $2, $5, whatever on this educational pack. And then it's just so much easier for that other teacher to use that content and so on and so forth. They eventually started calling it Teachers Make Millions because teachers <laughs> are actually making millions by creating this content. How's the model? I'm sure the model's similar, different to that kind of a thing on your platform. Like what are similarities and differences there? So uh, we love Teachers Pay Teachers. We've been in the um, connection with them for years and been uh, inspiring from them. I think that is also a testament to the fact that the current education system doesn't provide everything that teachers need and that it relies on the creativity of educators. What they do on, on Teachers Pay Teachers is allowing teachers to sell interact, so to sell lesson plans, PDFs, etc., to other teachers so they can use it in the classroom, which means a lot of the time when you send your kid to school, you just imagine that everything is there and ready for them to go. But actually, there's a teacher that needs to come up with something creative and have it ready for tomorrow. And then she can use some other teacher's resource. It is teachers within teachers. And we really want to expand it to teachers, to parents and teachers, to students and, and learners on TANITAP because we're kind of leveraging the interactive aspect, which allows the consumptions of individuals at home. You said teachers make millions. I think one of the biggest problems that we're trying to solve is that there's a lot of people who want to be uh, entrepreneurs. I have great ideas on how to do education differently. Basically, anyone who didn't enjoy the education system or have other ideas on how to do that. But it's, as Yat can testify, it's super difficult to start an ad tech venture, to raise the funds for that, to reach the market, distribution, and not even all countries have an ecosystem for startups, etc. So it's difficult to be an entrepreneur. And that's why... It is essential 
to go to Web3 and really help them find business models that can help them get funding and find business models that can help them get partners to distribute that. Because if you look into Teachers Speed Teachers and if you look at a lot of other platforms, normally it's the Pareto rules, it's 2080 or much less than that that are making the most millions. You know, you have like the top 10, 100 names who are making right. millions. The rest are great, creating great content, but have no idea on how to market that. And we see that on TimeTap as well. People create content, but then you also need to market and push that. And you need partners to join you. And to do international partnership with someone you don't know, normally you need agreements and you need laws and a court that can actually enforce that. And a lot of that is being solved with the trust that Web3 introduces here. Because mm. if there is a smart contract behind it that says that both of us own a piece of content, you don't even need to know me, but you know and you trust the system that you will receive the funds when that content generates revenue. So in a way, it removes so much of the friction. And that's what we're trying to build. I'll talk about it more as we continue. Yeah, very cool. Yeah, I don't know if you had something to add there. I had a follow-up question, if not. Well, you guys all have children and we're talking about a situation where education does need to evolve. And some of my friends with children this weekend, we were hiking, we're talking about the challenge of AI and in chat BTG, the chatbot and its ability to sort of change the game in terms of doing research and writing papers and all these assignments that I got as a kid, people can do now in five minutes with some AI help, right? So as you think about TinyTap and other types of ways to gamify learning, are you also thinking about how to defend against AI and make sure people are actually enlarging their brains through education? Because that's my concern is that all these AI tools can really go against the curve of actual pure learning. Chat GPT is, is a marvel. And yet I'm not even sure that you're up to date on that, but we already had a chance to integrate Chat GPT into TinyTap. And there's a very simple way where you can just ask the ChatGPT to create a game about the solar system and you'll get a tiny top game ready tomorrow. So we're trying to be friends with it, not push it away. One of the uniqueness that we're bringing in the way tiny top teaches people that is I think, different from the online educational platforms that we're familiar with, like Udemy, Coursera, et cetera, is that we're not just about videos and consumption information. It's an active learning experience. You're asked a question, you need to participate, you need to use your brain. Sometimes it hurts, but you're a part of the lesson. You're not just participating. So I think if you're just asking questions or you're just seeing videos, it's not enough. We want you to work your brain and participate and be a part of the lesson. And ChatGPT can be a great help in that. I'm but, playing with constantly. So I just typed into ChatGPT. Give me a good podcast question to ask Yatsu of Animoca Brands. Let's just read it. We don't have to answer it, but I think it's pretty good. Can you discuss the strategy and vision behind Animoca Brands' acquisition and development of popular gaming franchises such as Formula One, Garfield, and Crypto Kitties, and how you see these franchises fitting into the overall growth and success of the company? (laughs) Hey, that's not bad. That is not bad. (laughs) Yeah, it's not bad. I think, as you guys said, I think ChatGPT definitely sort of open up people's sort of thoughts and opinions as to what AI can really do. And unfortunately, we've heard some stories about some schools actually sort of banning ChatGPT, which actually I think is the wrong answer, right? Because really ChatGPT, if you think about it, can be a really strong ally in education. When you think about sort of generally what AI can do, one of the struggles, and this is why TinyTap really sort of stood out here, was creating personalized content for individual learners that happen to be just different because we are all different as people. 
And so one of the reasons where many of us are trying to solve education is that we recognize that people aren't one size fits all. We don't all think the same, and therefore we don't all learn the same. And that's one of the reasons why a platform like TinyTap, if you think about it, there are thousands and thousands and thousands of ways to learn English. Well, why do you need thousands and thousands of ways to learn English? Because we are just different, right? Some people are visual, some people prefer this text, some people like it pink, some people like it, whatever that may be. And I think what something like an AI system will do is actually better customize your content for your needs, except whose content will it draw from? And actually, if you think about the derivative of that, when you think about how did ChatGPT just ask me this question, they didn't just make it up. They had to draw it from someone. They searched Google, they analyzed people's podcasts, maybe. Maybe they found a way to see what people are asking. And that repository of knowledge is going to come from places like TinyTap as the teachers create content are going to basically draw. So in other words, it will be just the much, much better personalization engine. If I'm a kid or if I'm a parent looking for a certain kind of content through a number of queries, it'll pick out custom-made curriculums or custom-made sort of things coming from the content set that TinyTap created from the 100,000 plus educators and teachers that are already making beauty content because the source of that knowledge is still human at the end of the day. And this is also why, by the way, I think Web3 and blockchain is so important because provenance matters now. Because if you're drawing knowledge from someplace, how do you reward the actual creators of where that knowledge came from, right? If I'm now basically mix and matching this educational content that came from five different teachers, that's something an AI can put together. Now you can actually reward. If I own five of these different NFTs and it derives that knowledge, actually the AI can then basically share that value from the five different groups that basically it derived from, right? So there's a lot of interesting possibilities. So on one hand, it could be scary. But on the other hand, it could be and represent an incredible opportunity to fairly distribute value for the sort of original content creators. Yeah, I think what you said and what Yogev said, I mean, the challenge is now on us to turn uh, reality into an active learning experience that, that is hyper-engaging for a very sort of technology-driven younger generation. It's just there and it's ours to sort of do what we can with it. In the process of all that, there's a massive amount of data that's out there that all these platforms are leveraging, and there's a network effect that's coming, of course, from information that TinyTap and other products are ingesting and also that they're putting out there in the world. And I'm curious how you guys look at that sort of network effect in data in terms of this educational landscape. Yeah, so a network effect is the basis of TinyTap. It's been a community-centered platform since we launched it. And Web3 kind of solves a lot of the... Web3 is super interesting for us because it serves as a technology that allows us to do something that was actually more complicated to do without, okay? So for example, here's the thing. So people create content on TinyTap and they create it, like Yad said, for their audience, okay? They create it in Arabic, they create it in Chinese, they create it in, in different languages and different topics. It's not all math and English. Okay, it can be local history, tradition, Chinese New Year's is coming, content that sometimes that most likely won't get funded to be an edtech company, but can be created by individual as an interactive activity. And what we always wanted to achieve is uh, to really get that network effect where someone in China can take uh, content created in the US and just localize it and then distribute it over there and have their share. So we always had that edit button that when you publish a game, you can 
allow people to edit that, but we kept it locally because we said, okay, so if people republish that again, how do we do the revenue share then? Because who gets what? So if everything is on NFTs, if you just have an NFT that says this content is mine and someone now owns a part of it and fork it and creates a version of it, a new version that is great for their local audience, local students, you can easily distribute all the revenue share to everyone. Uh, you don't need a third party a sub- the distributor to pay everyone and to do all the calculation in the back. And you don't need to trust us, the company. You just see everything on chain. And you know, we're a little bit of a different bird, I think, in the landscape of Web3 because we have a working product. We have, uh, it's very important for people to understand we're an existing company. We have millions of dollars in annual sales from consumers accessing our content. And as we're entering Web3, obviously the first phase is that people will be able to still pay with fiat to access the content. And we're using blockchain kind of the business model and in the back to enable all kinds of new opportunities for educators and, and partners. But very soon, you'll also be able to access the services with crypto. So it will be a full cycle system. I think that's what everybody is kind of waiting to see. So if you own something and someone pays with it with crypto, you see how the money flows throughout all the NFTs. You don't need to trust anyone. It's a closed system. I think it's beautiful. And that's what we're building. So to give you one interesting example of what happens when you have actual digital freedom, in the sense that you have actual digital property rights and the freedom to transact for others to sort of participate in. When they did, when Tiny Time did their auction, and maybe later on you get what explain the model, but effectively the teaching content basically becomes a kind of financial asset as well, because you're now able to purchase and basically earn through the publishing mechanism, the publishing rights, the income from that, which then basically qualifies as some kind of yield. And whether this is 10%, 20%, it gives much more value to the teachers as a result of that, because something that made $1,000 could then be sold maybe for five or $10,000. But the interesting thing was that the typical education model, normally, because it's a walled garden, would normally just sell to the intended audience, right? Oh, let's go market and sell it only to basically parents, perhaps, or maybe a publisher. But actually, the participants in the auction, in some cases, were actually uh, protocols yield-generating protocols, essentially completely unrelated to the educational market that were saying, hey, you know what? Actually, this is a pretty good yield. Why don't we just participate in that? And then actually, instead of giving out inflationary tokens, we actually can invest in a product that actually generates true cash flow-generating yield for that particular, I guess, protocol. So it's an example of additional participation from third parties that you would never normally expect because of the fact that it essentially is something that anyone can freely sort of participate in or maybe compose as well. So it's just one yeah. sort of fascinating example where when you open things up, new business opportunities come about. And it kind of makes you think about what the future could look like. Because if you can actually bundle educational content of all sorts, then really, maybe you can actually in the future, literally go back and you can get yield in how people have green bonds. Well, you can have education bonds perhaps in the future. I mean, of course, that doesn't happen today, but you can see how that could be possible now with an approach like what TinyTap has done. Yeah, that's fascinating. For those of us that value the educational process, not always the system, right? Sometimes there's problems with the system. I learned a few months ago that Josh actually, I think I'm getting this correct. Were you the valedictorian of your high school, Josh? Is that correct? That is a true story. Not one of those fun facts you share often, but yeah. No, but that's awesome. I mean, it just means it. It's just evidence of your sort of caring about the details and 
working very hard. Wait, wait, how do we know is the valedictorian? Do you have that on chain? Do you have like that is not on chain? It's only it's hearsay based on me. But yeah, we'll see. (laughs) I think that's the next evolution. Tiny tap. You got got to put all this stuff on chain, man. (laughs) But yeah, to see the educational content, which I myself has created tons of have some value beyond what it's typically had. And it's able to be captured, right? Because I think it's that's one of the things that's happened also in web two, I guess, web one is that content is able to be shared, right? You look at the Spotify's and all these ways that you can create something that's very valuable and be like, oh, this is really valuable. I'm just going to share it with this person to photocopy and to send the PDF and all this stuff. And then all of a sudden, it's like it never happened for the originator of that content. It's very interesting. Can I shift the topic to the metaverse here? Everybody's excited about it. It's a hot word. Like you said, yeah, it's people are talking about it all over Davos. Where do we think it's going to gain traction next, right? There's been these moments in initiatives where people get into the metaverse, various metaverses, sandbox, decentralized, things like that, but there still is more growth ahead. What do we think is going to make that growth occur? Well, okay. So, I mean, first, I think when we think about the metaverse, from our perspective, we always believe that it starts essentially with actual sort of ownership as in digital property rights, because even if you can experience something, it's not yours. And then actually it's meaningless. And the definition comes from the fact that it, ownership is also a form of self-sovereignty, right? So it has to be real for you. And if it's not real for you, then it's not reality. And if it's not if reality, then you know what does it matter? So that's kind of how we generally sort of look at that. And then VR, AR, and even the screen or the mobile phone are actually just simply interfaces in which you can basically sort of access your true reality, as it were, which starts with the ownership of yourself. And assets that you own are part of your identity. So that's how we sort of think of it broadly, which means that all areas can advance this, right? So obviously gaming is still probably one of the biggest onboarders of this because that's one of the ways in which we already have digital identities, right? If we think about how our children interact and play in these games, they actually are identifying with it as a part of who they are, except they don't own that. And when they do, then that's going to be much more powerful because really their virtual identity, if you think about it, is, is as real as their physical one. And they interact maybe not with the same kind of friends, perhaps even in when they play in online games. We have to also understand that there's over 3 billion gamers in the world, but there's still only tens of millions of blockchain games, Web3 games. So the sort of growth potential for that actually is still in the early innings. But if you take a look, for instance, at something like TinyTap, that's another form of sort of metaversal activity because it's creating real value. It's a user-generated economy. And what actually do we all do, generally speaking, we, even if we don't think of it, we're actually sort of learning in one form or the other. Look at YouTube. YouTube is the largest learning platform in the world, right? But it's really videos. And it's how is it the most largest learning platform? Because actually people create learning content that basically mimic things that they know and do well, which is basically how we all generally and here, what TinyTap has done is create a platform where they create those kind of learning experiences, but in an interactive manner, as opposed to just a sort of passive way. So I think, again, that's another way to onboard people. I think of it, I mean, how many families are being served on TinyTap today, you get? Yeah, so you have about 9.3 million registered parents, uh, 350,000 educators, out of them 65,000 creators. So, wow. I mean, if you think about onboarding, right? I mean, that's onboarding. When you think about every person who ends up interacting with this learning content, 
maybe buying an NFT, having a slice of that, having ownership, utilizing it in one form or fashion is essentially another form of onboarding. And it's something that we all do en masse. It is learned. So I absolutely think that education has that potential as well. Very exciting. And I guess the question that comes to mind next is for Yogev. I mean, what is next for Tiny Tap? I mean, you have quite the arsenal to work with here in terms of a captive audience that has already into gamified education. So there's so many fun things you can do from here. Yeah, we started with the publisher NFT just to get everybody mindset on the same page. I know a lot of the people, when they think about NFT, they think about the NFTs the way we've seen them until now. But I want everybody to go back and remember the, the core value of NFT, which is ownership. And you can use that for many things. And so the way we use that is to give our teachers an opportunity to mean their content. Now they have an NFT that represents that content and they can invite partners to become co-publishers with them, just like someone wants to publish a book and goes to publishers. And now you two are co-owners of an asset. And that's the network effect. The more people that co-own content with you, the more people who care about the success of the platform, you have more people to, to help you distribute. So that was the first step for us, creating the publisher NFT, a simple model that allows you in practice to invite people to become co-owners, take that NFT, connect their wallet, and actually get a piece of the action in terms of revenue but also participate in the promotion of it. So that's big as it is enough. And we've sold the first WAF and uh, those the people who purchased the first WAF NFTs are already generating revenue from that. So like Yad said, this isn't about market hype. It's not about whether people are going to appreciate these NFTs in a year or not. It's whether the value behind them is going to increase or not. Whether more people are going to be interested in that kind of content and whether this content can branch into new opportunities. So that's the first part we're doing. The second part, something we're working on it and hope to launch very, very soon, is a way to basically reward educators and kind of bring them on board as the founding community of the project of education on Web3. We really don't want this to be a tiny top story. This is an education on Web3 story. In the spirit of Metaverse, we want this to be about interoperability, we want the value of having an NFT that represents that you're part of this community to open doors on other platforms, not only on TinyTap. And I've mentioned before, for us as an existing company that already has a running product, which is built on creators, Web3 is already solving problems. So revenue share, much easier with NFTs than working with third parties and sending magic links to PayPal and withdrawing it, much easier. As another problem it's solving and that we're going to introduce now even to the consumer side, is the opportunity where you go to our website and you purchase a subscription or you purchase a course. You can either purchase a subscription to give you access to a library of content or you can pay to access a specific course. That's the business model on TinyTap. Normally, we would, once you finish the onboarding, we'll give you a direction to go and download the app, connect you to your email and password and get access. And a lot of the time, people forget their email and password and how to log in. And it's confusing because you bought it on the web and you need to log in on the app. So what if you just get an NFT that says you have that and you have it in your wallet and then you connect on the app and that's it. The wallet is there. It also helps with uh, integration with other companies. We are now working with a few private schools who are going to give TinyTap to their thousands of, of students. And normally their company needs to talk to our servers and tell them this email and password, just purchase a subscription, open the app for them. You can simplify that and just give them an NFT in the wallet and they can connect with that. So this is exactly what Yat was talking about. You're bringing the internet with you. 
instead of the internet being on different servers talking above you, because if you're a child, you are the one who have the identification that says, hey, I have this. If you respect that, give me the service. And you can take that to different services that respect that without those companies doing much integration. So we're going to be the first company to really honor and give you different discounts and perks for having this NFT for the teacher community. Mm. But obviously, we want other communities to kind of join and support that NFT. So this is the next step, really a big project to kind of reward educators online. We're, we're welcoming our educators and we're welcoming educators from Teachers Pay Teachers, from Udemy, from any other platforms to come and join and kind of lead the way. That is the key, really. Instead of companies leading the way, we want educators leading the way and we want to build the tools for them to do that. Oh, man. Very exciting stuff. I want to get to a question here. We mentioned earlier, Jeff's not able to make it, but he was able to share a question and he may have gotten it from chat GPT. I don't know, but here's Jeff's question. <laughs> it's for, yeah, mostly I think here. And he's saying, what does Animoca Brands roadmap look like going forward? We know how active you were in the previous bear market, both building and investing in partnerships and acquisitions. Can we expect similar activity? And is there anything in particular we should look out for? So generally speaking, Animoca Brands is continuing to invest and build. I mean, I think if you look at our most recent announcement, I think probably within ourselves and Japan operation, for instance, I think two or three investments just in the last couple of weeks, for instance. So that is still actually fairly active. I think one of the reasons why the investment pace may appear to be a little slower than the start of basically a year ago actually has a lot to do with the quantum of companies that are actually fundable as well. Because there's quite a few companies out there that probably don't need the bar as the funding climate has changed, for instance. But also, I think what's exciting is, is that the number of people actually submitting investment propositions has actually declined as well. Because for those who actually are serious, they're looking... But there's a whole bunch of companies out there, frankly speaking, who may have had some doubts before about the space and they were just looking at an opportunity to raise money, but were serious. Those guys are all out, right? So I think in some ways, a shakeout in the market is always very healthy because it basically shows you who are the ones who are actually really here to, to do stuff. And the focus really for 2023 continues still to be the same principle as before. Basically, anything that sort of adds to network of entities or basically helps in the onboarding of that. And so to bring it back a little bit to TinyTap, which was something that we had done actually last year, it's a perfect example of maybe it's a new segment. It has an intersection of gaming because teachers can make games, but actually really it addresses a completely new market that can actually onboard an entirely new audience of community into Web3. So we'll continue to do that. And maybe one difference is from maybe when we first did this podcast, we were running everything, let's say, ourselves. We're much smaller as an organization. And today, Animoca Brands has professionalized itself a fair bit. We have a ventures team, capital team, right? So on one hand, that means we have more processes, more sort of, I guess, you could argue some level of bureaucracy. On the other hand, I guess you have also more diligence and you have actually more capabilities within the team. So that's all part of maturing. One thing that we have done more now, which last year, actually more than a year ago, we didn't have, was, you know, we would have the partner days, for instance, I mean, animal gatherings, right? And these are basically the places where portfolio companies come together, learn from each other, do business with each other, and also learn best practices from various companies, including our group companies as well. And so that's sort of a forum that we've now started to set up as well. So getting better at basically sort of knowledge sharing. And maybe just finally on that point, one way for our portfolio community to participate 
is basically through what we now basically define as the Mochaverse. And the Mochaverse is a collection of membership NFTs, but it goes beyond that. It allows the community to have participation in the Animoca ecosystem, not just through joining our events or whatever, but also to maybe have participation uh, in DAO votes, basically, because we have a large treasury of tokens that could be used in, for instance, DAO voting as a result of that. But we're being very thoughtful about how it's being distributed. So our investors, as well as portfolio companies, group companies, employees, becomes really, really distributed and decentralized, given what's at stake with, with the right audience. So these are some of the things that we're looking at. Yeah, that's great. And we should disclose we are part of that family and a proud member of the family and excited to be part of Mochaverse. We've shared some special perks associated with our upcoming event, which by this time when folks are listening, they'll hear some of the updates on the theme for the year, which will be really exciting. And one of the other things we're doing with our event this year is we are focusing on education. So 9 a.m. on each day, we're going to have three workshops on Tuesday and Wednesday. And yeah, you probably don't know this, but Mohammed has graciously put in, raised his hand to teach a tokenomics and rewards workshop for the LA community and those that attend. So there'll be a full hour workshop to start the day for people that really want to dive into this stuff. Because I think the theme of this episode and my big takeaway is just the power of education to amplify the space and to help our society in general, right? And so we really want to double down on that. Talks are fun, parties are fun, art's fun, music's fun, but we also need to take a step back and really reflect on this past year and a half of adventures and start to put this into practice as a practical applications of the technology like TinyTap. I'm so impressed you get with what you're doing in that area. So congrats and looking forward to seeing where it goes from here. I'd love to ask both you gentlemen, since we're all in this space, we're all looking around and seeing what's happening. And there's projects that we're more intimately connected to than others. But what are the projects that you're seeing out there right now that get you excited outside of the ones that we've already talked about? Yeah. So for me, one project that I'm following and very closely is the Royal IO. So basically from Thrillao, trying to do something similar to what we're trying to do with education is with music, allowing the fans and the participants to be owners and work with the artists on their songs. There's a lot of challenges to overcome in doing that, both on the artist side, both on the legal sides, and I'm paying close attention. Royal.io, that's one project I'm interested in. Cool. And yeah, what about you? Anything that even out, like you guys have your hands in so many of these leading projects, but anything sort of outside yeah, of your... <laughs> Yeah, so I'm going to take it from a slightly different lens because it's a little bit like asking what's your, you know, who's your favorite child, right? So that's kind of tough because we're excited about everything, of course, right? But I think the one thing that it's not within a project space, but and then this may sound a little awkward, but I'm kind of excited about what we're seeing in the development of regulation, right? And that seems sort of awkward because like, oh, isn't regulation something that is going to stifle and is going to be too bureaucratic? But actually, one of the things that I feel quite strongly, and this is a thematic in Davos now that we see as well, and maybe inspired by that, is that one of the reasons why I think many countries didn't regulate on crypto fungible tokens, and I don't think non-fungible tokens are within the realm, but as we know, the transaction system basically for non-fungible tokens is broadly crypto, so it is important, is because they didn't want to give it validity. So the whole idea of not regulating was essentially to say, that thing's not really 
real anyway. So let's just not talk about that. And there's a problem, and it's not really our problem, but we gave you a buyer's beware because it's going to go away. So why bother? And the thematic right now throughout the world, very much as you know, in Davos with the world scene, is it's here to stay. Right? So as bearish as some people might want to be, basically the world has now recognized that Web3 is here to stay. The metaverse, as in, in its Web3 narrative, is real. And we need to find a way in which we can play and support its growth. So that gets me really excited because this is macro, right? And you can see this effect already happening in places like Asia, where Japan, the prime minister, announced Web3 in the metaverse as part of its national growth agenda. And Hong Kong basically came out in late October with a digital and virtual asset policy, which then basically ended up not only in some companies getting licenses within the same year, but by the end of 2022, that's two months after their announcement, launched on the Hong Kong Stock Exchange, the first Bitcoin and Ethereum ETF. So it just goes to show that what's happening in the outside area that will affect Web3, I think, in a very positive manner, what's happening in regulatory framework. Because then once you have that, you have more safety and you have more security. And that means more participation. So of things outside of our ecosystem, I would say that will have probably one of the biggest impacts, positive impacts to our industry. And we're excited about it. Yeah. Here, here for regulation. Here, here for regulation. <laughs> you have questions about blockchain? Like, how big of a block can you chain without throwing out your back? Or if you received that chain letter, how did you block it? And does blockchain taste better, barbecued, or deep fried? <laughs> Luckily, you don't have to ponder these quandaries alone anymore, because Blockchain Training Alliance is here to answer them, and also train you in real-world blockchain issues that will impact your business's bottom line and oriented future forward along the ley lines of the most important tech humanity has perfected since harnessing atomic energy. If you're into those sorts of things, Blockchain Training Alliance is a top leader in the field, counting among its clients IBM, Microsoft, Disney, Morgan Stanley, and many more, and offering a wide array of technical and non-technical courses. Whether you're a computer neophyte training for an incredible career in this new space, or a coding expert honing your skills, Blockchain Training Alliance will help you steer your ship home safely, filled with treasure. <laughs> Arg. So hurry and sign up for the Blockchain Training Alliance course that best fits your needs at blockchaintrainingalliance.com. Use discount code EDGEOF for 50% off and start your next block today. That has been an incredible conversation, guys, so far. Now, our next segment typically is Edge Quick Hitters, and it will be our next segment again. We actually already have asked yet our Edge hit Quick Hitter question, so we'll probably turn the focus over here to you, Gev, but let's do it. Sound good? Everybody ready? Yeah. All right, let's do it. So Edge Quick Hitters, just to clarify here, a fun, quick way to get to know you a little bit better. 10 quick questions that we're looking for. Just a short, single or few word response, but feel free to expand if you get the urge. All right, so here and, we go. And, and maybe Ethan, it's past midnight for Yat. Maybe we should give him a chance to say adieu <laughs> if he needs to head to sleep before another busy day in Davos. That's true, we, yeah. We totally uh, will understand that. No, thank you so much. It's actually 1 a.m. here, so I'll call it a night. But All thank right. you so much for having me and look forward to the next time and keep up the good work you give. I think what TinyTap is doing is incredible. Yeah, I look forward to seeing you yet in a couple of weeks in March. Catch you later. All right, you give. Here we go. What is the first thing you ever remember purchasing in your life? That's got to be a plastic dinosaur for $2 that I got from my grandma at age nine, I guess. Yeah, because that dino survived all the way through high school. And I bought it when I was like in the first grade or something. 
So I remember that dime, that the two dollars. Nice. Terrible that is plastic. not a cheap dinosaur, <laughs> by the way. Which, by the way, is the name of a friend of mine's chiptune band, Cheap Dinosaurs. Cheap Look dance. it up. <laughs> All right, next. Adorable. Yeah, like, no, good 80s toys. Nice. Next question is, what is the first thing you remember ever selling in your life? That's a really good question and a really proud moment of my life. So in the sixth grade, so I'm an illustrator. I'm a designer. That's my passion. And so in the sixth grade, I think, you remember the garbage pile? Course. Yeah, garbage pile kids. Yeah, yeah, totally. yeah. Garbage pile kids. So I was a big fan. I collected all the cards, and so in my class, I mean, in the grade, we had seventy-six kids. I made a garbage pile kid out of every one of them. I drew a doodle of them. My mom went and made copies of them at school. I cut them out, put them in packages, and me and my friend used to go in the lunch break and sell them in packages to the kids themselves. So they would collect cards of themselves. They were sold like for very cheap, but we made decent money for sixth graders. And I remember this one kid managed to, we gave them albums. So this one kid managed to collect all the cards, complete an album, and he won a firecracker. So that was my first kind of entrepreneurship moment. Impressive. Very cool. All right. So what is the most recent thing you purchased? (laughs) This guy, (laughs) an iPhone Pro 14. Yeah, I guess this iPhone 14 Pro, I was just wearing a vacation last week and I got that. Also got a Boss headphones with it. If you guys are on AirPods, I love Apple. I'm an Apple fanboy, but Boss AirPods will blow your mind. Try them out. I've been thinking about snagging some of those. That's worth considering. All right. So what is the most recent thing you sold? I guess uh, 12 publisher NFTs <laughs> on TinyTap. All right. That, that is a qualified response. That sounds about right. It is, it is. It's a business response, I guess, on the <laughs> personal level, what I've sold. So I guess my kids' puzzles and so something like that. Yeah. When he finished them, I remember selling that. That was the last one, like six or eight boxes to another happy uh, four-year-old or something like that. Nice. Very nice to recycle those toys. Yes. All right. Next question. Number five. What is your most prized possession? Hmm. Other than my two cats, but really my bicycle. I use my bicycle to work every day in the past 10 years. So that's what I like most about living in Tel Aviv. It's a flat city, very easy to move around with bicycles. I don't think you guys have that in LA yet. But Yeah, not so much unless you want to get creamed. Yeah, I mean, when I was hanging out with you in Venice Beach, though, Josh, they had the scooters rolling around. That was fun. Yeah. They were there for a while. I mean, obviously... (laughs) Biking on the board. So far away, you know, it, you need a car. You can't get away from yeah, it. Yeah. I lived in LA for a while. You need a car. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. All right. Next question here after what's your most prized possession? If you could buy something in the world, anything in the world, digital, physical, service, or experience that is currently for sale, what would it be? Just a simple sketchbook is all I need, really. I need much and some time to doodle in it. Other than that, I am considering getting the latest Oculus Pro from Facebook. I want to give that a go. I'm a big fan of VR. been following that since inception. Cool. Yeah, by the way, for any of the listeners that don't realize, so we have this amazing library near us where you can check out toys, which is really cool. Like they have puzzles and games and all this stuff for the kids, puppets, like all kinds of stuff. And my son found this little packet. And he just kind of picked it random. We didn't really know what was in. We brought it home and it had this little VR goggles in it. 
and these books for learning, you know, just kind of, we're talking about learning here mm -hmm. and you could go in and you could explore outer space or like, look at how a fireman does his job. But the cool thing about it is there are these VR goggles. Well, all you have to do is you take your phone and you put it inside and there's a program that basically just makes your phone into a set of VR goggles when it's inside like this little box. Like they're very inexpensive and very cool. So, yeah, I remember that. The Google used to do that. like Cardboard. In, Google did it called Google cardboard. cardboard. Yeah. yeah, but going back to your question, I got to share that I'm a big Back to the Future fan. Actually, in 2021, I had the pleasure of opening WWDC from Apple. You know, the event that they do every year. Oh, wow. So Apple invited me. I participated in this fun videos that they do when the event opens. So go to YouTube, look for WWDC 2021. You'll see me in the first frame. And the idea that I gave them was basically to put Tim Cook, to Tim Cook in a DeLorean coming out, holding the next iPhone from the future. And they did that. They reenacted that. They brought, <laughs> they brought a, an actor doing that. So if I could buy anything, a hoverboard or a DeLorean, I'll be really happy uh, camper. Yeah. So there's a new DeLorean coming out where it's ah, tied the to a one. I remember some tweets yeah. about it. Did that actually happen? I haven't checked into it, but I did meet the crew and they were going to tie it to a digital twin NFT and the NFT holds your production spot. So pretty cool. Mm, okay. Yeah. So that I'll take the electric DeLorean. <laughs> there you okay. go. All right. Well, if you could pass on one of your personality traits to the next generation, what one would it be? Uh, creativity. That's one thing that is very dear to my heart. You know how there are people saying I'm not a math person. That kind of annoys me uh, just as I hear people saying I'm not a creative person because defining yourself is such a bad trait and it's basically people defining you and it's killing a lot of people's creativity. And that's what I really like to see about people. And I want them to really explore their innovation and creativity and basically avoid titles. I mean, I studied art and design in Bessalel Academy of Art and Design. When I did that, while I was in school, I thought the entire world was created by designers because we were kept, you know, solving those creative briefs. And then I got out and a lot of my friends just deemed themselves designers. So you're not your job. You're not your title. You can do anything you want. You're just learning traits and picking up skills along the way. So that's what I wish for everyone, creativity and freedom of self-definition. I love it. And if you could eliminate one of your personality traits from the next generation, what one would it be? Definitely want to be a a better listener, to learn how to listen better, to be attentive. I think a lot of us in the innovative space have a bit of an ADHD, a bit of a, all over the place, enjoying listening to a lot about different ideas. So focusing a little bit, hearing more, listening, not just hearing, but really listening. That's what I would wish for myself. I like that. All right. Yeah. Next question. What did you do just before joining us on the podcast? coffee because it's 2 a.m. right now. So <laughs> that's, that's what I did. And uh, doodling on my Remarkable 2. I don't know if you guys oh, know. nice. I've got a Remarkable product. pad, yeah. It allows you to doodle on ink. I think it's from Norwegian. I'm not sure. It's a Finnish company. Amazing product right on my nose. So I just wrote like the highlights of, of what we're doing that I want to emphasize on the show. So coffee and doodling. Beautiful. And then final question, what are you going to do after joining us on the podcast. So not everybody know, but in Israel, Thursday is when the weekend starts. I mean, Friday and Saturday, we're off. And then Saturday, Sunday, it's a work day. We're starting the week. So just when we're going to say goodbye, it means my weekend begins. Okay. So I give myself another hour, maybe Netflix. I don't know. It's going to be wild. 
Okay, beautiful. <laughs> now for today, because it felt on theme, I asked Chat GPT to come up with a bonus question for today. Uh, it gave me one, and then I said, "Try another one that's a little bit more outlandish." So I'll give you two questions <laughs> that Chat GPT came up with, and you could answer either of them or both if you want. First question would be, "What is the best piece of advice you've ever received?" The second one would be, if you were given the opportunity to live on a different planet, which planet would you choose and why? Oh, planet <laughs> is more interesting, actually. <laughs> so I'm a scuba diver. I love corals and reefs and sea animals. And I love the latest Avatar too. I know a lot of people have different opinions, but the visuals and the water world just is fascinating. So I guess Pandora would be an amazing place to visit. Cool. Hey there, NFT space cadet. Let's zoom in on the globe from outer space today to Abbott Kinney Boulevard in Venice Beach, LA. Let me show you a cosmic tech beacon that shines out among the bustle of fashion, art, and food there. It's a thriving software dev, data science, and design studio known as AE Studio, where scores of the sharpest minds have come together to help founders and execs create software and machine learning solutions that are not only profitable and increase our agency as humans, but that give us that warm, fuzzy feeling that elegant tech so wonderfully does. AE's breadth of talent allows them to build anything from instillvideo.com, it's a health, fitness, and wellness app that makes your chakras tingle, to award-winning brain-computer interface solutions that could quite literally bend our minds. Oh, and keep an eye out for Token Runners, their NFT white-label marketplace, as well as our highly anticipated NFT drop, Boomer NFT. Now, for all you DGENs who strive to shed the cummerbund and pearls, comes a jaw-dropping, awe-inspiring partnership not seen since the heyday of Shaq and Kobe. It's called Edge of AE Studio. And you can find out all about it at edgeofae.com. That's right. This full service, soup to nuts, end to end, whole enchilada NFT service can help you. Yes, you, Randy. Launch your NFT project. Edge of NFT and AE Studio have come together like Voltron to get your project in gear so you can hightail it straight to the moon, stardom, and maybe even your own private yacht. Go to edgeofae.com to find out more. That's edgeofae.com. Actual results may vary depending on moon landing location, domain of stardom, scale and model of yacht, as well as weather scale model of yacht or actual yacht. All right. Well, that was Edge Quick Hitters. Thank you so much for having some fun with us on that one. We're going to wrap it up here because we know you have to get to relaxing and sleeping soon. But before we jump off, where can listeners go to learn more about you and the projects you're working on? Yeah. On Twitter, right now we're on Twitter. Look for TinyTopAB. So that's TinyTop Animoca Brands, TinyTopAB. You should follow us to hear when we're launching new projects and progressing with our project. And if you want to follow a different type of project on Web3, definitely do that. Um, if you want to get some information on what we've done so far and see for yourself, go to web3.tinytap.com. Web3.tinytap.com and play around and just get the app. Get tiny tap, start creating content. You don't have to be an educator. We didn't really talk about it, but it's a free tool. It's completely free to create. Download it for the iPad. Create content for your own children or for any cause, really. It doesn't have to be for kids. Yeah, Give it I can't time. wait. I'm excited. All right. Well, thank you so much, Yagev. And also, of course, thank you to Yat, who had to leave us to tell get some of his own sleep. 
We have reached the outer limit at the edge of NFTs for today. Thanks for exploring with us. We've got space for more adventures on this starship. So invite your friends and recruit some cool strangers that will make this journey also much better. How? Go to Spotify or iTunes right now. Rate us and say something awesome. And go to edgeofnft.com to dive further down the rabbit hole. Look us up on all major social platforms by typing Edge of NFT with no spaces and start a fun conversation with us online. Lastly, be sure to tune in next time for more great Web3 content. Thanks again for joining us and sharing this time today. The views and opinions expressed on the Edge of NFT podcast reflect solely those views and opinions of the show creators and its guests. We're learning as we go, just like you. Please make sure to do your own research. Our podcast is not financial advice. There are multiple strategies and not all strategies fit all people. We understand that you are using any and all information available on or through this podcast at your own risk.